I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Je vole sous le soleil. Welcome to this very special episode of Ruler Mark, episode 10, The Weddening. If you've been following the story so far, you'll know that at the end of 2017, my lovely fiancé Paul proposed to me in Bath. The town, not the thing you put bubbles in. Anyway, after much deliberation, we decided to get married in Paris. In the past two episodes, we've discussed what went into all the planning and some of our decision making. But now, it's time for the big day. I'm Tegan Higginhoven for Botham, and welcome to Ruler Mark. I was sitting under the glass ceiling in the restaurant in the Hotel de Grand Boulevard, munching my way through a basket of bread the size of my head, when I realised this was the first time I'd been by myself in what felt like weeks. Having travelled with my fiancé and my parents to London, Paul and I had then dashed across the channel to Paris, where our friends and family had slowly started arriving for our big day. I ordered a second coffee and took advantage of this fleeting moment of solitude to think about how I was feeling. My very good friend Rama had spent the past few days with Paul and I helping us prepare for the wedding. All the while, she'd been peppering us with useful nuggets of information. Don't try and do everything yourself, she said. The day will go exceptionally fast, so make sure you put aside time to take mental snapshots and really soak it in. But her biggest piece of advice, not everything is going to be perfect. Let it go. Actually, I should point out that Rama had one other little piece of advice. The day before the wedding, she'd asked if we should all buy umbrellas. But I checked two separate weather apps and it was blue skies for days. Are you sure, she asked. I really think you should get an umbrella. And I was like, Rama, I've been fixating on the weather for a week. So trust me, okay? It is not going to rain. It was raining. But I thought about what Rama told me about the day not being perfect And even without taking the weather into account, I completely understood where she was coming from. There were so many moving parts, so many aspects of this day that I couldn't control. But something had come over me that morning, an inexplicable sense of calm. I don't know if people know this about me, but I like to overthink things a lot. I hardly slept for the first two months of this year because my brain decided it wanted to solve all the world's problems from between 2am to 5am every single morning. But today, there was none of that. No panic, no uncertainty. I was just happy to go with the flow. I met my mum and my dad in the hotel foyer. We headed across town. Dad had a mission that morning. His job was to pick up a dozen rose-flavoured macarons from La Douille, Paris's famous macaron specialists, while mum and I had another job to take care of. In order to make the day feel special, I decided to splash out on this one thing. I was going to get my hair done at the Ritz Paris. Now, I don't know if this is the best salon in Paris, but you know what? They had a bathroom with golden swans for taps, people. Golden swans for taps. 
And my hairdresser was the loveliest person, exactly the type of human you want to meet the morning you're getting wedding. Leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> the, morning you, that in. <laughs> the morning you're getting wedding. What an idiot I am. He took off the ends. He cut my fringe. And it was time to put on the finishing touches. And I asked him to do that French thing where he makes my hair look messy but nice. You know, I wanted him to Paris it up. So he did. He reached for a product the Ritz swear by, the pièce de résistance of the whole affair. Its name? Australian Salt Spray by David Mallet. It's developed using salt from the Murray River, which according to the website, is pink. It's a beautiful salt. It's very soft. Now I was about to point out exactly what I thought of the Murray River in terms of beauty, but I held my tongue. And you know what? I left looking fabulous, if I don't mind saying so myself. And I learned a very valuable lesson that day about the grass always being pinker on the other side. Across town, Paul was completing a pink-coloured mission of his own. His job had been flowers. First of all, why does the David Mallet website speak like Borat? <laughs> I don't know. It's pink. It's a beautiful salt. It's very soft. It's very soft. I don't Ma- know. Mauve. Mauve. You didn't do that once up until that very moment. I was very proud of you. So what I wanted to do was sort of make my mark on the day and design your bouquet. Now, if you say the word wedding bouquet to a florist, dollar signs actually appear in their eyeballs. It's like in the cartoons. It's like in the cartoons and it really hurts them. So yeah, maybe give it a shot sometime. they actually say ka-ching. It's yeah. really weird. And then they scream because it's very painful. But what I decided to do was wander around to a few of the florists that we'd become acquainted with in South Pagal. We just sort of window shop, right? And there were one or two that you developed a bit of a fondness for. So I wandered in and just sort of followed my heart. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I had a color scheme. I knew you liked peonies. And I decided to add some snapdragons to the mix, which uh, was a mistake. You'll find out very soon why. <laughs> and I just sort of built the bouquet. And I um, lashed it up in ribbon. And I made it really presentable. And I actually sat there with them, actually measured stuff out and designed it myself. And they said, what is this for? And I said, a birthday. And then, <laughs> and then I uh, took it back to the apartment, uh, which I was going to have to leave very shortly. I was very sad about that. And uh, Jasper actually saw the bouquet. This and is the apartment, the Rue Victor, Hotel Rue Victor. Yeah, I stayed there that night by mm. myself, which was tough. And then I uh, ran it uh, via Uber across to your hotel. Mm. You were still getting your hairs did at that point. Your dad and I basically jimmied our way into the room, put it in there. I left and apparently seven to ten minutes later you got back. So you missed me by a hair's breadth. Well, I got back to the hotel and I found my bouquet and I loved it. I really loved it. I thought you'd done such an incredible job and it was so special to have you design that for me that morning. Mm. Unfortunately, though, the Snapdragons had started leaking this strange wax, kind of very sticky, milky, waxy stuff. No, no, it's on it's, No, no, it's on theme because yeah. uh, people cry at weddings and the flowers are weeping. They were so. weeping, exactly. Yeah. So I couldn't have them because they would have uh, they would have wept all over my dress. <laughs> um, so suddenly mum and Rama, who had joined us at the hotel by this stage, they had to do just a little bit of rearranging. So we left the snapdragons in the room. Uh, we cut the peonies down to size and the bouquet was ready to go. So Rama, mum, dad and I, we sat around the hotel room eating, drinking and chatting. Dad informed us that he'd gotten bored of all the women's stuff, so he took himself for a walk. We're standing around there all having like the most beautiful morning and he's like, so what do we do for the next little while? And we're like, well, this is, this is it, dad. This is what we're doing. This is the wedding day. You know, we're experiencing our moment before the wedding. And he just started pacing and he just was so unhappy. And we're like, go, please, for the love of God, go. But in the meantime the photographer arrived. Now, I had no doubt that Benjamin Brett was a great photographer. We had looked at his work online when we were still in Australia. It was candid, unique. It was so full of heart. 
But amidst such a small bridal party, the wrong type of personality would really stand out. I had heard horror stories from people whose weddings had been ruined somewhat by bombastic or nonchalant photographers. We only had nine people, nine guests at our wedding. Benjamin was important. But he walked in and within minutes we clicked. He was so great and he just understood the vibe perfectly. One of the things I really liked about him is that he didn't want anybody posing. I think we got three photos that day where everybody technically posed and that was over so quickly. And we knew that that wasn't going to work because there were a lot of comedians in our group, a lot of big personalities. As soon as you ask a group like that to start being serious and pose, it would have gone completely off the rails. It would have all been silly faces from here until eternity. So instead, he just kind of stayed in the background, but he had such a warm personality. I really loved it. Like a ghost who you like. Friendly, friendly ghosts. He was Casper. He Caspered the hell out of that wedding. <laughs> he did. So the wedding hour was drawing nearer, and while Benjamin clicked away in the background, Rama started discussing Ubers. But I'd already made a decision that morning. Paris traffic was stressful, and I didn't like the idea of being stuck in a car with a potentially moody driver. So with all that in mind, I told her not to worry about cars. We'd be taking the train. <laughs> Now, we haven't told all of our listeners up until this point. I think some of them might have seen it in a photo already, but we haven't actually informed them where we decided to have the ceremony. And this is something you had locked down with Adam McKenzie the day before. Yeah, so we had scouted out every jardin in Paris, it felt like. Jardin, not gendarme. Jardin. <laughs> just walking up to cops being like, Can hey. we get married on you? <laughs> no, <laughs> not merci. Not merci. Uh, <laughs> so we uh, had settled on something called the Medici Fountain. Yeah. Now, the Medici Fountain was actually uh, made and modelled by the people who made the Arc de Triomphe. So, was it really? Yeah, really, really good predigree. Like intense stuff. And the Medici Fountain was uh, near one of the side entrances to... I've forgotten the jardin. The jardin de Luxembourg. The jardin de Luxembourg. So glad this day meant so much to you. No, no, there's just a lot, there's a lot of jardins in my head. There's a lot of jardins. Yes. So uh, Adam and I had gone there one last time. I think we've been there three times at this point. Yeah, we'd gone back a lot. And for the first time, my fear about people being there and crowding the place out was gone because there was some slight cloud cover and suddenly it was basically empty. Mm. And I was like, great, this is absolutely perfect. So there are two narrow lanes up either side of the of the, of the lake leading up to the fountain and we decided to get married at the end of the lane, right up against the fountain. We'll put up photos so you can see what yeah. we're talking about. It's a stunning but... sight, but there's not much room to move. No. So what we did was we stood there and uh, Adam calmed me down a bit because I was getting worried about people. And he said, we'll just block the lane off and I will start reading my speech like so. And as he was reading his practice speech, a large angry teenage duck and its parent basically flew at his head and using like <laughs> Jedi-like reflexes, he dodged screaming. And then they both crash landed into the lake. Whereupon we look into the lake, we're both laughing and shaken up, and there's baby ducklings everywhere. Mm. And you and I have a thing for ducks. We resonate emotionally with ducks. Well, we saved a baby duck. Uh, it was a year and a half ago. Uh, we named him Ragu. Don't, yeah. don't think about that too much. No. But we connected with him very much. And from that point on, we have had this really special place in our heart for duckies. Yeah. So I told you that. I, I said basically, that's the site. Mm-hmm. We're going with it. The ducks are a good sign. Yeah. So on the wedding day, we get to the Medici fountain, and it's kind of overcast and we're all very very nervous at this point well this actually worked really well because up until that point it had been 20 degrees and blue skies in paris which draws so people out all 
the tourists have been out, people have just been flooding into the gardens. Mm. But this was, it wasn't even a cold turn. It was just a cool turn. Cool turn, you know, cloudy, a bit like interest, like a very nuanced kind of interesting sky, Yeah, intermittent right? rain. So people weren't in the gardens as much as they had been in the days leading up to the wedding. Not just that, but we get there, you know, 40 minutes before the wedding or so, maybe even an hour. Mm. And there's no one at the garden. There's no one up those aisles. There's no one there. And we are all so excited. So Adam and I head to the end of the aisle. And in the spot where we're getting married, there's this guy taking photographs of a suitcase on a chair. And that was very confusing. And we couldn't figure it out. Maybe we thought maybe it was like an ad for something. Mm -hmm. And so we went out to talk to him. And uh, this uh, guy in a tweed suit steps out of the bushes next to the photographer. And Adam turns to me and said, wouldn't it be funny if that guy was getting married here at the same time as as you were? And uh, turns out he was. I know. So we go up and chat and it's this lovely Scottish guy who's like, I'm getting married at like three o'clock. And uh, turns out that's when we were due to get married. So we have a pretty... No, we were 3.30. We were 3.30. Sorry, yes. Although we'll get to that soon. Mm -hmm. So... It's just him and his fiance and a celebrant and a photographer. And right. they go really quickly. They finish up at about 10 to 3, mm-hmm. right? Then we all get into position. So we use chairs to block off the aisle. Formation you know. 2. Yep, yeah, formation 2, yes. The mm-hmm. Paul formation it was referred to oh, as. Wonderful. Yes. Uh, we're standing in a, in a group. Adam and I are ready to go. The speaker with the music is ready. Phone calls are exchanged, at which point my adrenaline is kicking up and I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. I am impatient. Yeah. I want to get married. Yeah. I turn to Adam and say, I just want to get married now. Almost on cue, pretty much on three o'clock, he gets a call from Rama and Rama is calling to say that you've arrived early because you had the exact same feeling I did. Well, not only that, the trains were just a really good way of getting to you. So we had left the Hotel de Grand Boulevard. There was a train station right out front of the hotel. We went in there and it was a matter of doing two stops in one direction, swapping Mm. over another couple of stops. And we were, we were where we needed to be. So we'd come out of this station. It was my mom, my dad, Rama, who was just, God, I just cannot stress how incredible she was the whole day. She was my rock. She was funny. She was so fantastic. I will rave more about her later. So it was Rama and Benjamin. So it was our small little clutch of people just walking through this beautiful French neighborhood. And my dress, as people can see from photos, it was a dress from Zimmerman. I was really happy with it. It was understated though. But I think when you combined that with the bouquet and my hair done as I'd done it, it was pretty clear that I was going to a wedding. I'll also add one other little point. I had been really struggling with my foot up until this point. People from previous who've listened to the previous episodes will know this. And I couldn't wear my heels anymore. My foot still wasn't as bad as it had been earlier on in the trip, but it was I, I certainly couldn't get around in heels. Yeah. So I bought these beautiful little gold slippers, these little flats, and in the end, I liked them more. I <laughs> really, really <laughs> loved them. But I was walking through Paris just feeling the prettiest I ever have in my life. And people would stop on the street and they'd look, and it was always a really beautiful smile that you'd get in return. And the, the, the little clutch of us were just walking towards the garden, just laughing, just talking. It was really fantastic. And then we got there to the gates. And at one point, Rama has started manoeuvring me because apparently we were within your line of sight. Ah. So I could see the back of the Medici fountain and we were too close. So she's moved me aside. And then we've looked at this, uh, we've looked at the time on one of our phones and we were something like 15 minutes early. And the whole thing is, is that the bride is meant to be late, but... I just really wanted to marry you. I really wanted to marry you. So Rama has called Adam, I believe, and she let you know, and we can probably keep telling the story from this point together because we're finally there. We, I, I was ready to go. Yeah, and Adam was on the phone and he's saying she's ready. And so Liz 
plays the presses play on the music mm -hmm. and the music starts playing and it's a piece by Max Richter's um, uh, recomposition of uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons and it's just the best thing you've ever heard and it's like it's just love in music form and it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're all standing there. I am floating off the ground yeah. at this point. And at this point, your sister had been fantastic. She'd run around the corner yeah. and she'd come to collect uh, my little bag that I was holding. Yeah. Rama had a couple of bags and I think we had one jacket just because it was a bit overcast. Mm. And she had started to well up. She'd looked just very emotional. Mm. And suddenly I had been cool as a cucumber all morning. I had been really together, really collected. It was the first moment where I went, oh, this is a thing. Oh, it just kind of... That was the first little wave of it hitting me. And I know it might sound strange that that hadn't happened the night before or that morning, but I'd been floating and then I was still floating, but it was a really different feeling. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Anne ran back around. She would have told you guys that we were ready to go, start playing the music. Then Rama went next. You know, she was, she was so versatile the whole day. I don't know whether to say that she was you know, the maid of honour, if she was the host, if she was the organiser, she was just this every person. But then she's gone down the aisle first and I was just standing there with my mum and dad um, at the back of the Medici fountain, um, at which point, as a joke, my dad started humming the Carlton Football Club theme song <laughs> and just being like, oh, this was your song, isn't it, Tegan? And I was like, that's a... That's not a that's not a good song to be humming right now. It's not Carlton's best time. Um, no, there's no best time for Carlton. And then Mum joked like, you know, we could just do a runner, and we had a real funny little just that laugh for a second of how funny would it be if we just run off? Not that we would do it, but it was just a funny concept. It's very enjoyable for me to hear. That <laughs> and we're just we're just there, and we're laughing, and we're just enjoying the moment. It was a really positive moment. And I'm looking at the back of the Medici fountain. I'd never looked at the back before, and it's very very beautiful. And Time is passing and mum goes, we, we probably need to go now. And yeah, I just, I, I just took a breath and I started walking and then we rounded the corner and I, there was almost so much to take in that I had trouble taking in one thing, but it was, you know, our beautiful friends and family standing there just smiling at me. And then it was you and it was Adam McKenzie at the front and you just looked the best you ever had. You, the suit was fantastic it was great and I, I just I kept walking down and I could hear that the music was towards the end of the track and I yes, think because you'd really really taken the piss there <laughs> I really dragged it out a bit but it, it started you know our wedding had finally started yeah and that's when wave two of emotion hit me and I started getting then very emotional, yeah. very quickly. Well, Adam did a really good job because you've been talking about Rama's role in this. Everything that Rama did for you, Adam did for me. Yeah. He had been driving this thing and he got there early and he was just amazing. And he was coaching me through all kinds of stuff and you know, he was the celebrant, like yeah. he had a huge job. So he finally starts reading his, you know, reading his words and it's getting very, very emotional. And, and I, yeah, I, I almost want to say all the emotions that I hadn't been feeling in the morning, yeah. uh, 
they because they hit me so quickly all at once it was this this boom of feeling and almost too much in a way almost too much and if it hadn't been for what occurred next i don't know if i would have been able to read my vows yeah. but fortunately well fortunately the exact same duck chose that moment to dive bomb Adam's head again. And there is a amazing, like a Renaissance painting quality photograph that Benjamin snapped of like, yeah. of like the, the millisecond after it swooped. And it was really big, like a big duck. And what is great is this duck wasn't swooping the group. It was an Adam-specific <laughs> attack. Yeah, it was just Adam. This duck wanted Adam's head. Yep, wanted to kill him. So we've all... Dived for our lives. Adam's got literally water up one arm because the duck had sprayed him on the way. And we've just all burst out laughing. And I, I this time I have tears streaming out of my eyes with laughter. Mm. And it was exactly what I needed at that moment to just break the tension, put us all back together. I'm, I, You know, I got this thing of reminding myself that, oh, this is just my friends and my family. These people love me. This is a good thing. Not that I thought it was a bad thing before, but it brought the fun back in and we were able to push forward. And so then the reading started. Um, your sister did an incredible reading that was funny and poignant and great. In and French. In French yeah. because she's incredible. And then your mum did a reading. My mum did a reading. They both brought their own personalities to it and just in ways that I hadn't expected. It was so cool. And then we got to the point with our vows. Oh, my God. And you and I had both decided that we wanted to write our own vows. And it had been tricky because we didn't want to tell each other what we were writing of course we wanted to keep it secret until the day but it was as I would try to get stuck into my vows I didn't even know what format Paul was putting his in I didn't know how long it was I didn't know if he was sticking to a more traditional you know for better or for worse kind of format or whether he was going really off track and telling stories I didn't know fortunately on the day they were stylistically very different, but at least lengthwise comparable. Yeah. And the sentiment in each of them was at exactly the same level. You know, it was the most, you know, it was our way creatively of putting down on paper what we felt for each other. And I don't know about everybody else, but I was just by that stage a sobbing mess. Oh, as, my God. As you should have been. Like, I was, I was deeply affected. But one of the things that is tricky as a performer is that we speak – all the time. Everything we do is in our voice and we are always thinking about what we sound like and what our voice comes across as. Mm. And one of the things I really struggled with, and I, I guess you did too, was finding a way to be perfectly honest and not performative at all. Yeah. Because it's so important for them to for the person across from you on the wedding day to not experience performer you but real you. And not to joke. I mean, one of the things that I remember you mentioning quite a lot at the very beginning of our relationship was that I very rarely spoke about how I felt about you publicly. I never did it. I never told people really how I felt about you. That was something that was really private. Mm. If I did anything, it was joking. And I have always felt more comfortable joking about something rather than talking about it, you know, quite honestly. This, you just couldn't do that. I didn't want my vows to be another five-minute stand-up set, you know what I mean? I didn't want that. So it was a really confronting moment for me in a beautiful way in that it's the first time I had ever said something like that in front of a group of people right. and I'm very grateful that it was that group of people who were there because it was it was it was everybody that needed to be it was fantastic yeah. yeah yeah how did you feel as the ceremony progressed and 
it turned out that we were attracting a little bit of a crowd, not a massive crowd, mm. but people were lining up on the other side of the Medici fountain to watch us, including a school group. Yeah, the school group actually started kind of babbling away and laughing and talking during your vows. And I get very easily distracted. So I had to fight to pay attention to so you. I didn't even hear them. I yeah. did not notice them in the slightest. I had other people point out afterwards, did you see all the school kids? Because apparently yeah. when we did the final, you know, may now kiss the bride, they cheered. Which, yeah, I don't remember any of that. No, I don't. But mum thought it was the most adorable thing because this school group had cheered when we finally got married. But so it did affect you a little bit. A little bit, yeah, it did. Yeah, it didn't bother me at all. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, it was beautiful. But like, um, I remember you talking over children. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But the, I guess what really struck me was I, I could feel good energy around us. Yeah. Like I didn't feel like, you know, where you, sometimes you, you have to ignore a thing or yeah. avoid a thing. I, I felt that everyone around in the area was super positive. Yeah, I certainly felt that as well. Yeah, and, yeah. The, and the energy from, from our group was amazing. It was. Uh, and there was this thing that I think Liz had come up with. Was it Liz? Um, yeah, no, it was. Yeah, yeah. where she basically said, because the rings had been given to Josh because he was the best man. He had both the rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Liz said it'd be cool. It's, sometimes people do a thing where everybody who's there, like, hands the ring from person to person to kind of, like, you know, infuse it with their, like, goodwill. Well, everybody whatnot. gives, you know, makes a little, I guess, a wish or a blessing, however you term that sort of thing, mm. as they hold the ring before passing it on to the next person. And then it was finally my dad who handed the rings to you for that moment, the exchanging of the rings. I also felt, I don't, I hope this doesn't sound completely wanky, but there are a few key people from both of our lives who couldn't make it just because of life, you know, financial restrictions, family restrictions, all those sorts of things. But they had all made us feel so comfortable in the lead up to this that I still felt very much their presence on the day. I felt very much that they were a part of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm honestly, I was, I really was only. I only saw you. I, I, oh. I had, I had, I, everyone else there was just there as a kind of window dressing, and that was lovely. But it was, <laughs> Don't no. tell them. Window dressing, you oh know, my God. window dressing is the wrong word. But like they were there to like witness this thing, and they they helped it and they make it happen. But on the wedding day, it was just you. Like mm. all I thought about was you. Well, we got through our vows. There were the exchanging of the rings, and then we had our final moment where Adam McKenzie said, "You may now kiss the bride." Or was the final one? You, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Yes, he I said think that. it was that. Yep. Everybody cheered, including a group of school children across from us at the Medici Fountain. And I was just over the moon. And it was at that moment, actually, because as I mentioned, my dad had a job that morning to go out to La Dorie to get macarons. And he nailed it. He got um, this box. This It was this Antoinette Poisson gift box for their Le Vie en Rose uh, spring celebration. So it had all roses on it. And rose was one of the symbols of our um, wedding so we all stood around eating these macarons and having champagne. You had come up with the most brilliant idea, which is because we wouldn't have a traditional wedding certificate, you made a wedding certificate for us. Yeah. It was this beautiful A3 piece of paper that you did this stunning artwork around the edges because you're an incredible artist. And underneath it, it had room for every single person who attended the wedding to sign it. Yeah, the idea was that everyone there was one of, uh, you know, one of uh, nine witnesses. Yeah, so they were all of our witnesses. And then we left them for a very short while. I think it was 15 minutes max. And we went around the Jardin de Luxembourg and just got some candid photos taken, just really, really fun photos. But one of the things that you and I had never felt comfortable with was this idea of leaving our guests while we went off for two hours, say, to get our photos done. Mm. But at the same time, we knew that, you know, when in Paris, we want to get some photos in front of the big monuments. Why not, hey? So what we did is we rented these two incredible tuk-tuks 
to drive to drive the whole group around Paris so that we could get photos done. Yeah. And it was fantastic. So we're all buzzing from the I do moment. We get onto these tuk-tuks and our first destination is the Eiffel Tower. Well, actually, it's the it's the bridge from Inception which sits across fr- like the river from the Eiffel yeah. Tower. So there's these incredible photos of this group who are all hopped up on adrenaline and all loved up. And we've all had a glass of champagne and they all look great. And there's this bizarre wind whipping up and the Eiffel Tower is in the background. And you're right. It was your idea, literally. Like, why not ferry our friends and family around with us on yeah. the photo shoot? Next, we went to the Arc de Triomphe and our tuk-tuk driver got a little bit lost. So instead of taking the first exit, he started just doing laps of the Arc de Triomphe, which in that traffic is terrifying, but I was hysterical. Well, I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Well, normally what's normally driving around the Arc de Triomphe is dangerous and you're protected by metal in a car. <laughs> a tuk-tuk is basically like a motorised bicycle with plastic well, it sheets on yeah, it. Yeah, it didn't have sides, which yeah. was great because we'd roll them up and it felt like it's actually an incredible way to see Paris. I recommend it's called Tuk Tuk in Paris, the company. I recommend doing it. Yeah, and of course at this point, uh, the rain finally arrived. Well, that's the thing. As you said, the wind had started whipping up and now the rain was coming down. So we've whipped around the Arc de Triomphe a couple of times and we were barreling towards the Sacré-Cœur. Um, we really wanted to visit you know, near Rue Lamarck and get our photos done there. But the rain came down then hard. So we rolled the windows down of the tuk-tuk and suddenly we're driving very slowly through Paris with this wind battering against the plastic and we're all warm because we're all cosied up next to each other. And we're, at one point we're in front of the Palais Garnier just looking at that beautiful building while we've just gotten married and it was... It was fantastic because in that moment, our driver turned to us and he said, look, I'm sorry, but the traffic has just intensified. I cannot get you up to the Sacré-Cœur and then back to the hotel where we'd plan to have cocktails yeah. in the time you've got. So you can either you know, pay double again for the tuk-tuks, which was something that we considered, or we can go straight to the hotel. And we just went, you know what? We're having a great time. Let's go to the hotel. Let's just hop out of this weather. Yeah. And it was one of those moments like Rama had told us about. It wasn't perfect, but it actually meant that we got more time having cocktails with everybody and it all worked out. Mm. We didn't miss it by any means. Yeah. Um, so we got back, as we said, to the Grand Boulevard. They've got a really cool deco bar downstairs and we all huddled in there for a while and had a couple of drinks. And then another piece of advice we'd been given is that we should have just a tiny little bit of time in the middle of the day just to ourselves so we can calm down, recalibrate and kind of get our heads into what we've just experienced. Yeah. So we did that and it was really wonderful. And then we got to go over to our reception. Yes, at Kai's Kitchen, which was incredible. And uh, Adam and Rama, we've talked up their efforts and the things they were doing. But what we didn't mention is that Adam was, what was the title he He gave himself? He was Captain Cook. He was Captain Cook. He was Cook Captain. He was the head of the Cook team. And the Cook team was basically both mums and Adam uh, basically building the meal and plating up for, for, you know, for for ages. So we had cheeses, we had chickens that they they chucked in the oven, Mm. uh, roasted potatoes. We got these incredible salads from Rose Bakery. Oh, we got our wedding cake was a series of incredible desserts from our favourite patisserie, uh, Gilles Machal. Gilles Machal, who's up in Montmartre. And we discovered him the first time we went there as a couple. So it was really nice to use his desserts for the wedding. Yeah. And it was just fantastic. I highly recommend doing something of this scale, this size, if you can, because when we got back there and it was just people sitting around a table, it felt like a really special family dinner. 
my God, you, the booze started flowing and it was hilarious. The speeches were so good. Everyone over-delivered. Not a single person wasn't just the best version of themselves. It was great. It was like people talk about, um, you know, there's always going to be that one drunk uncle or there's always going to be that one person who like makes a scene or the best man makes an awful speech, which is embarrassing. Everyone brought their A-game and did so effortlessly and selflessly, and oh, it was perfect. I feel like we could keep talking about this for another half an hour. I actually keep, every time we're going over something, I keep remembering more stories I want to share. Yeah. But I do want to keep this to time today. Yeah. So before we go, Paul, what would you advise if anybody wanted to do something like this? What are your top tips? What are your big lessons? One of the things I noticed when talking about this wedding with uh, other friends was, well, you know, we had to invite so-and-so, and because we invited them, we had to invite them, we had to invite them. Can I be perfectly candid? Yeah. <laughs> Just do the thing. It's your day. Do the thing yeah. and 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 do something else later to make it up to these people if you feel like you have to. But honestly, it's not about them. It's actually about you. It's your day. I, now, yeah. I, don't get me wrong. I think that's hard and that won't suit everyone. Mm. But for us, we had friends and family who were loving and understanding enough to work around us. Our bunch got it, which did make it really easy. Because yeah. when we told people, they were all like, oh, we'd kind of expected you to do this anyway. Yeah. And we are still going to have an event in Melbourne much further down the track when I have more money um, well, to, well, so well, we can bring yeah. everybody involved. But hmm. I do agree completely with your sentiment just do the thing you want to do because you know what it sounds cliche but that day was the best day of my life me too and I no matter what stresses we'd gone through in the lead up to it it was absolutely where we needed to be and what we needed to do. Anything else would have been kind of a betrayal of who we are as people. And I think everyone around us got that. And also, here's the important thing. It worked out ruthlessly cheaper than an Australian one. Well, here's the thing, you know, so for us, it was much, much cheaper, as you said, than if we'd gone with, say, our Dalesford option. Yeah. Especially when you take into account that we rolled the honeymoon into it. When you get married overseas, it does become more expensive for your guests. So that's something you need to take into account. Not everybody can do it. I was keeping a loose track of things. I know it's not about the money, but by the time we had booked and purchased uh, the dress and the suit, your ring, our accommodation in both London, Paris and our honeymoon, the flights, the reception venue, the photographer and paid for our guests to go to Disneyland, which we did the next day, we were still under the price we would have paid for just the reception venue in Dalesford. And the reception venue in Dalesford uh, is basically the room and the food. Wouldn't no have flowers? Included, no, no flowers, no accommodation, extra booze things would have you know been on top of that, no yep. music. So, of course, it doesn't work for everybody, but my God, it's a bloody good option, guys. We got married in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you want to add before we before we wrap up this very special episode? I loved marrying you and Paris oh. has been such a big part of our relationship. It's kind of been like this key figure in mm. our relationship and it was really great to basically have a wedding which was kind of a tribute and like a love letter to all the things that Paris has given us. that's it for this week's episode of Ruler Mark. Next time, I'll be chatting about Avignon in the south of France. From caves to bikes and some aggressive tourist traps, I'll let you know the do's and don'ts of one of France's most beautiful cities. In the meantime, subscribe, follow, share, do all those things that you like to do. I've been Tegan Higginbotham, and you've been listening to Ruler Mark. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 